Active 911 is proud to partner with the Code 3 Podcast. Active 911 designs technology for first responders to help heroes save lives. Learn more at active911.com. Quieter stations in some way are a bigger leadership challenge than a very busy station. You better have a good team built there and you better manage that crew. Los Angeles, this is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me today for another edition of Code 3. This is the show that gives you all the information on a firefighting topic you need in about 20 minutes. Let's get started. No matter how large or small your fire department may be, it has one house that's just not as busy as the others. Sometimes that house is really slow, and it may feel like you're missing all the action if you're assigned to it. If you're new to a fire service career, you may wonder if you'll ever go on a structure fire run. If you're an officer, you might worry that your career is stalled. But there are some things to consider before you decide that it's hopeless. My guest today says being assigned to that station can be like being sent to Siberia. Linda Willing has been on Code 3 before. She's a retired career fire officer. She owns real-world training and consulting, which works with emergency service agencies. She's also an adjunct instructor and a curriculum advisor for the National Fire Academy, and she's written a book titled On the Line, Women Firefighters Tell Their Stories. And Linda Willing joins me now. Welcome back to Code 3. Thanks, Scott. So every department has a Siberia station. Can you describe what that is? Well, every department, no matter how big or busy, has at least one station that just isn't as busy. And some of these stations are extremely slow. On my own department, a station was built because an area was annexed to the city that was mostly industrial, and the industrial entities there had their own fire brigades, but they had to they had to have a fire station for insurance purposes, and they were willing to pay for it, basically. Our first year out at that station, there were 20 emergency calls the entire year. Wow, that's slow. Really slow. <laughs> 20, so that's like two a month. Exactly. Less than two a month. Yeah, it's since picked up a lot over the years. This was back in the, in the 80s, you know, the early 80s. And, and that's not uncommon for departments to have a station that just, because of its geographical location or its demographics or whatever, it just doesn't get the, the same call volume as the rest of the, the department does. Now, most firefighters may remember the Rescue Me TV series with Dennis Leary as an FDNY firefighter. Right. He was shipped off to a Siberia station for several episodes. The most dangerous fire they dealt with was a car fire, I believe. 
Larry's character was sent there as punishment, though. Is that typical? I don't think that's typical. Some people may feel that way, being assigned. But I think more often, my observation is that these stations tend to attract people that may not be at the peak of their career for whatever reason. You know, maybe they're close to retirement and they just kind of want to be in a place where they're not going to be as busy and up all night. Or they may be people that just aren't ambitious. And, and you know, people just get assigned there randomly. I mean, some places maybe you spend a career, but I think more than likely it's like you say, you, you get sent out there for a period of time and then rotated back in. Well, everybody wants to work out of the house that gets the most action, especially the ones with more fires and fury EMS runs. Right. But but somebody's got to staff the slower ones, right? Absolutely. And, and actually, I remember I worked with a lieutenant early in my career at the busiest station in our city. And he was a fantastic lieutenant and a mentor to me and just just one of the best officers I've ever worked with. And at the end of his career, he chose to go out to that quiet station. And I remember feeling sort of disappointed at the time that why would he do that? But he was at the end of his career and, and he understood that he just didn't want to take unnecessary risks and he wanted to sleep through the night. And so he chose to go there. From a leadership perspective, what do you do there? What fills the time between runs if you're in charge? Well, I think that quieter stations in some way are a bigger leadership challenge, a different kind of leadership challenge than a very busy station. A busy station requires excellent technical skills, obviously, and a wide range of experience and scene management and all that. But the quiet station, you better have a good team built there and you better manage that crew and you better be good at conflict management and observing changes in people. I mean, whenever you read about personnel problems or firefighters behaving badly, it's not usually at the busiest stations. It's usually at the quieter ones where people have time on their hands and maybe leadership isn't doing what it needs to be doing. So what does leadership need to be doing at a quiet house? Well, I think, first of all, as I mentioned just now, that I think crew development and team building is critical and knowing your people and getting them to know one another as well. I think the key to the quiet station is to take it seriously first and maybe not too seriously. So you know, the serious part is the most important aspect because every quiet station has serious risks that could happen right now, the next hour, tomorrow. And if you're not ready for that, I mean, that's what firefighting is, is preparedness. It's not about what happened yesterday. It's about what happens next. And so I think first, that's the, the first thing is to know your district and to take it seriously and to get out and really understand the inherent risks that are there. And once you look at things closely and don't just take it for granted that, oh, it's always going to be quiet out here, you'll see that every quiet district has very significant potential risks in it that should be pre-planned for, and you have time to do that. You also have time to do training. 
these are things that um, I think one of the things that I think can be done in a quiet station is to structure the day, but maybe not make it quite as long as a regular day. I mean, whereas a day at a busy station might go from eight to five and be full because of the interruption of emergency calls and so forth, you know, maybe a normal day at the quiet station goes from eight to three. And I, I think that's perfectly okay to have a little bit of a, a shortened formal day at a quieter station, but still have a formal day. Well, I wanted to talk about that. A Siberia station is one where the environment is low volume, high risk, if only because not running the diverse calls other stations get tends to lead to atrophy of muscle memory. Yes. Does that become a legitimate hazard after a while? I think it can become a real hazard if it's not addressed through leadership. And what I mean by that is that, well, on my department, there was a time when we were a little bit short-staffed and people were working a lot of overtimes. They were working multiple days in a row. And firefighters would come out to that quiet station thinking, oh, I can just sleep out here. You know, I don't have to do anything out here. This is my day off at work, basically. And that is, and that is just wrong on many levels. Um, like you say, the, your skills atrophy, your attitude is not where it needs to be in terms of preparedness. And the worst call of your life could happen at that station. I mean, our slow station was the major railroad route with hazardous materials. We never had a derailment there, but we could have. I mean, many places do. And if we had, we better be prepared for it. What if I'm a probie? Will I miss out on learning situations being in this house? Well, I was thinking about that as we were as I was preparing for this call. And I think another one of the challenges that happens at quiet stations is that you often get generational differences. Because older near retirement firefighters sometimes choose to go there, but probies, new kids, people with less seniority on station selection also might be sent out there. So now you've got kind of the oldest and the newest together and the newest not being at all happy in most cases about the situation because they want to go on calls. They want to be busy, but there's an opportunity there because if you're the new kid and you're sent to the quiet station with three firefighters that are two years away from retirement, that is decades of experience for you. You know, maybe they're not in their prime anymore, but they were at one time. And they have institutional knowledge that the new kid, if that person is willing to make the effort to get to know these people, to ask questions, to, you know, to be a good crew member with them and show respect, there can be a wealth of knowledge right there that's kind of hiding in plain sight. So it's, it's up to the probie to take advantage of it. I think the probie, I think, it, I think there's obligation on all sides. I think, again, I think it's a leadership. I think the, the officer should lead by example in terms of getting to know each person individually and valuing their experience and um, no matter how many years on the job or how many months on the job they have, you know, even the newest person has experience and, and valuable skills and knowledge to bring to it. 
So I think that creating an environment of openness where people are interested in each other <laughs> and have opportunities to to spend time together as opposed to just running off to their, you know, their remote corners of the station and, and just being by themselves for 24, 48 hours, you know, and, and that is a leadership imperative. So the, the leader, it's not, it's not the new kid's responsibility to do that. Although that person should show initiative and interest, you know, these are leadership responsibilities. I'll be back with more right after this. Looking to decrease your response times? With Active Alert, get calls straight to your phone from dispatch via the app, available for Android, iPhones, and tablets. Plus, get directions to the scene, have all CAD notes in one place, see who's responding, and quickly identify nearby map markers like hydrants and free plans. With a low per device price, Active Alert is a must have tool for first responders. See for yourself why it's trusted by thousands of firefighters nationwide. Start your free trial today at Active911.com. So what did you do at your your Siberia house <laughs> during that time when there were very few runs? Well, we we got to know our district. And we got to know it really well. And it was fun. It was, I mean, we went out and did field trips almost every shift. We would go out to a building. I would make um, appointments with people and they would give us tours where we got intimate knowledge of, and we had some real, you know, we had some manufacturing uh, facilities out there. We had some, you know, pretty high risk, potentially high risk um, entities, but um, so we did that and we did training and we talked and we got to know each other and we had, uh, we had a lot of fun actually. Were you an officer at that point? Yes. Did you have a feeling in the back of your mind that, boy, I really hope we don't have to go to one of these places on a run or we're going to be in trouble? Um, I felt that way less and less the longer I was there because we spent the time preparing. Ah, now that's interesting. So when you first showed up, your thought was that you could be in trouble, but once you realized that people were prepared, it was more of a confidence builder in your mind? Well, sure. You know, training and, and experience out in the field is always a confidence builder. And I think that's one of the the problems at the quiet station is that when people don't train and they don't use their skills, they, they lose their confidence. And that's dangerous. Well, how do we balance keeping busy and that tendency to become lazy? You don't want to train all the time, even though you might have time to train all the time. The worst thing that you can do at these stations is to create work that doesn't mean anything you know, busy work or... People will figure that out pretty quick. They figure it out real quick. And that is, you know, that is the a very big way to undermine your credibility and authority in the station is doing that. But you can do things that are meaningful to people and, you know, aren't like sitting in a classroom type training. But, I mean, it's fun to go out and tour buildings and to meet people and to you know, learn more about what they do there. 
Um, and you can get input. I mean, it's not just up to the officer to decide how each day is going to go. I mean, I don't think that's true in any station. I think the crew should have input on, you know, what what do I what do I need to do and what would I like to do today? And if you have that kind of input, especially at the quieter stations, you're going to have more um, commitment from the crew. All right. Some good suggestions there. Linda Willing, thanks for talking with me today. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. And you'll find more about how to deal with being assigned to Siberia on our website at code3podcast.com slash quiet. Take a look. And do me a favor. If you've enjoyed this interview, please tell a friend in the fire service about Code 3. That's the best way to grow a podcast audience, so I'd appreciate it. Your friend will, too. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, stay safe. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.